Women's health needs, and especially our hormonal needs, are finally receiving the attention we've deserved for years. And Hormone Harmony, a new sponsor of SelfWork, rates as one of the top five hormonal supplement companies out there. If you're a young woman struggling with that week before your period when moods can be all over the place, and I certainly don't miss that, or older when you're so glad menopause is here, but if you're like me, you sometimes stare at yourself in the mirror and ask, where did I go? Hormone Harmony has become a phenomenon. Women cannot stop talking about it on social media, and a bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Basically, if you breathe in and out slowly twice, that's the amount of time it takes for one more woman to understand she can reach out for help, no matter what her age, through Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code SELFWORK at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code SELFWORK for 15% off today. This is SELFWORK and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At SELFWORK, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self-Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your self-work. Hello, and welcome to Self-Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist practicing in Fayetteville, Arkansas, for a little over 20 years now. I thought today we'd take a break from the holiday pressures and talk a little bit about depression and grief at the holidays. I have some personal experience with this. Back in 2007, both my parents died the week before Christmas. So I remember pretty distinctly how I got through that and got through the next year and the next year after that. So I'll be sharing that with you. But we're going to talk about the difference between grief and depression. And I'm going to give you specific strategies to handle grief and or depression in the next coming weeks. In fact, you can use these suggestions at any time of the year. Then in the last segment, I'm going to read an email to you from a woman who was dealing with a lot of shame, and I answered her, giving her my best suggestions on how to deal with shame. So let's talk a little bit about the difference between grief and depression. People mix these up a little bit. Grief obviously has a context. There's been some kind of loss that you're mourning. It can become what's called complicated grief when it entrenches itself. Depression, on the other hand, doesn't necessarily have a context. It can come on without warning or just begin to slowly affect you. I like to tell people that sometimes it's like the lights are going down very, very slowly and you don't realize how hard you're squinting to see. That can be like what depression feels like. Grief comes on acutely after this loss. Depression, it can come on acutely, again, if there's been a loss and it becomes more like a complicated grief. But depression often reveals itself very slowly. Then grief has a course. It has stages. There's denial, anger, bargaining, sadness, acceptance, and you go back and forth in between those stages. Grief also kind of comes in waves. A metaphor I've often used is if you've never heard of the ocean before 
and suddenly you're at the edge of the ocean and it's high tide and you, you're getting hit by wave after wave after wave and you literally think that you're going to succumb to the waves. You'll be pulled under. But gradually with time, you figure out how to dig your toes in the sand and stabilize yourself. That's what grief can feel like. Depression also has this sense of coming and going, but it's, it's got a different flavor to it. Depression can also look like sadness, and it can come and go, but depression can look like agitation. It can look like heightened energy or anger. I remember working with a woman whose husband had died, oh, three years previously, and she'd gone to his graveside, Every day. But she hadn't paid taxes. She hadn't taken care of a lot of the practical things. That was definitely complicated grief or grief that had turned into depression. Another patient I'd seen had two children die 20 years prior to me seeing her. And she looked at me somewhat poignantly and said, How long am I supposed to grieve? One of her other daughters had told her, You know, Mom... It's like you're still grieving them and you're not in the present with me. So it's important for you not to get stuck in your grieving because that will turn into a horrible depression. And then come the holidays, a time when there are a lot of cheery hellos and we're supposed to be buying presents for people we love. There's obviously, for many, many people, there's a spiritual part of the holidays that somehow doesn't fit well with grieving or feeling very depressed. I think holiday cheer only highlights the more harsh reality of however you feel, whether it's grief or depression, whether that's a divorce and estrangement from family or actual death. Depending on how you feel, whether you're sad or angry or not even quite believing the reality of what you've gone through, The holidays, quote-unquote, can make you feel very isolated from those that are more celebratory. Holidays are also markers. You know, if I asked you, what were you doing February the 17th last year? You really wouldn't remember. But if I said, what were you doing Thanksgiving? What were you doing Christmas? You would be able to tell me. So whatever loss has happened since, we take measure of that grief or that depression as a marker. We have distinct memories of what was said, what happened, what was given. We even probably talked about the next holiday when we were celebrating it. So the sadness can feel much more overwhelming. Again, whether you're grieving a loss or whether you've been dealing with depression the entire year or for a portion of the year. You're more aware that things have changed and not necessarily for the better. Now, if you've listened to any of these podcasts, and I hope you have, you'll know by now that I am a solution-oriented therapist. I like talking about what you can do about things. There are definitely some specific things for both grief and depression that you can do, that you can put in your life to help you. So let's talk about coping with grief. There are nine ways of coping that at least I've been able to identify for this podcast. Number one, be around people who are capable of listening to you talking about your loss, your grief. A lot of people withdraw 
when they hear someone talking about grief, we all get scared that our own lives are going to get out of control. And so we may back off from people whose lives have gotten out of control or they lost someone suddenly or they got divorced or they were, they were fired from their job. Over Thanksgiving, in fact, we had a friend come over to our home for Thanksgiving who has always done that or for many years has done that. And her husband, our friend, died suddenly this year. She looked at me at one point and said, I bet you really don't want me here. It's hard to have someone who's crying at Thanksgiving. And I looked at her and said, no, 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 It's we want you here. This is the only place we would want you. Other people probably do shy away, or some people will shy away. So make sure you surround yourself with people who can be there for you. Number two is recognize if you're feeling survivor guilt that you're alive to enjoy things, to live life, to fulfill whatever potential you want to fulfill, and that person is not. This often happens, for example, if there's an accident and one person is killed or, or wounded and others are not. I've had many patients tell me that they're afraid if they have an end to their grief, that they feel like they're letting go of the memory of that person. They're allowing that person to slip away from them and not remaining loyal or appreciative of their presence. But grief is supposed to fade. It may never end, but it is supposed to fade. The third way of coping is to do what has true meaning. I mentioned before that I lost both my parents a week before Christmas in 2007. I had Christmas dinner all planned when I found on Christmas Eve that my father had died, my second parent to die. But I chose to go on and have Christmas dinner because I'd be using my mother's things. I said the prayer that my father always said, and it meant something to me. I wasn't exactly myself, but I wanted to do that. So do what has true meaning for you. The fourth way of coping with grief is to remember that what you see on social media can look like what it's not. Lives aren't perfect. We just put perfect-looking pictures on Facebook. Life isn't tied up in a bow. So sometimes you have to stay away from social media. Also, fitting in with this is to consider new rituals. If you do only what you've always done, then you may not feel as much that you're starting fresh. Then you'll also have something to put on Facebook when you're ready that looks like the holidays were meaningful for you. The fifth way of coping is to say no, but don't say it too much, or you're likely to feel isolated. A lot of people withdraw so much during the holidays because of grief that they feel people really don't care about them. So say no when you need to, when you don't have the energy or the appetite to go out, but don't do it too much. Number six is to realize that if this is the anniversary or the first anniversary of your loss or your divorce or whatever you're grieving, know it will get better. The first anniversary is really tough or can be really, really tough. The seventh recognition or way of coping is this, if this is the second or third anniversary, you may have to recognize that you won't have the social support that you did the first year. And another wave of that grief may hit you. Some people may have even forgotten that your grandparent died, or they want to think that you have gotten over your divorce. 
So you can ask people, you know, I, I need to talk about this a little bit. Do you mind listening? Most people will turn around and say, of course, I want to be there for you. The eighth way of coping is to consider therapy, especially if your cycle of grief is stuck. And the ninth is to look for a Blue Christmas service or a grief support group. I don't know if you've ever heard of Blue Christmas, but a lot of churches are having these kinds of services because they recognize that they want to reach out to people who are having a very difficult time. I think it's a wonderful place to just sit and think about your life, whatever loss you've had in it, and to recognize that it's still important. But now let's move into talking about depression, the more chronic state of being sad, melancholy, not having energy, having trouble making decisions, maybe even having thoughts of a welcome death. Depression can be extremely difficult at any time of the year, but especially at the holidays. There are some definite things you can do that will really help you deal with your depression at the holidays. First and foremost is to stay in your routine. It's not good to get out of a routine that may be keeping you stable. So you need to exercise, eat right, sleep. Sleep is incredibly important. And with all the different tasks that some people give themselves during the holidays, they will borrow from their sleep time, and that's just not good, especially if you have depression. Make yourself a priority. This is especially important when you're traveling. It's harder to sleep, exercise when you travel, but it's very important if you have depression. And one of the self-care routines that is, that is extremely important is don't stop or change medication if you're on it. Not a good time to change this or to go off. The second way of coping with depression is somewhat the same as when we were talking about grief. Doing only what has true meaning, not necessarily reacting to the facade that can be on Facebook on other people's lives, but what would be meaningful to you, even when you're depressed. Number three is also like grief, reach out to those who can understand who aren't going to try to fix your depression. You can join support groups, again, on Facebook or on the internet for people with depression and seek support from those who've experienced depression. There are groups like Adult Children of Alcoholics that is a wonderful group and has helped many, many, many people. The fourth is a very pragmatic suggestion. Really watch your alcohol use, especially if you're on medication. Meds can heighten the effect of alcohol. So you want to be really, really careful when someone wants to hand you that martini or that Manhattan. Maybe it's the time to say, you know, I'll stick with water. Now, the fifth one is very interesting to me. How do you talk to your family about your depression? I wrote a post on my website last week about recurrent depression and how you talk to family members about it or friends, really. And I use this analogy. I'd actually use this with a couple. I had seen the wife or the woman fairly often in therapy. This was several years ago. And her husband had come in to say, you know, I just don't understand. I think she ought to be able to perk up and if she'd just do this or just do that. 
I don't understand why she keeps getting depressed. It's been going on for years. And here's the analogy I gave him. Imagine you're given a house to live in. The floors are covered with carpets from around the world. And when you walk around in it, living your very busy life, you enjoy it. You get to know its nooks and crannies. But there's a trick to this house. Every night, the powers that be dig a hole in the floor somewhere and then cover that hole up with one of those rugs. The next night, the hole could be in a different place. It's just randomly moved. No one can tell, not even you who are living in the house, that anything is different. And it's your job to go on living normally. Now imagine how you would feel. Your steps would be cautious. Your ability to enjoy and feel free diminished. With enough time, you'd feel better. You could go for days without falling, maybe even weeks or months. So you go on living until the day you fall in that hole. That's how it feels for someone with recurrent depression. They have to live their life knowing that they might not see the depression, the fall, that's about to happen. And they can't do anything about it. You learn that you can get out of that hole, but you can't always know what's waiting for you. It's your house. It's what you've been given. There are beautiful things about it, but there are pitfalls and struggles that aren't always under your control. People with depression can learn to live with it, to manage it. They can watch for signs or triggers. They can sit under light boxes, like eat well, exercise, meditate, connect with others. That's really one of the important ones. Take medication if needed and get enough sleep. Those are really good habits for all of us, but especially with depression. Yet absolute control over depression does not exist. So if you give your family members this particular analogy, maybe it will help them remember or learn what it feels like to be you. The sixth thing you can do is give family or friends, if you're having a, a, a what do you call it, a friendsmas, <laughs> I think instead of Christmas, a friendsmas, to just give those people a heads up that you are more depressed, that you're having a hard time, and that you'll take part in festivities as you can. But you may have to leave if you're too uncomfortable or if the event is triggering you to crash. I remember when I went through infertility treatment, for example, many years ago, I would go to a baby shower and I would give the person who was either giving it or even the one who was being honored the heads up that I would do it. I would stay if I possibly could, but I might have to leave. And I wanted their understanding. And, you know, people were extremely understanding. So you can do that with depression, too. The basic idea is to keep your options open. You don't want to make everything about you, obviously, and draw a lot of attention to yourself. But you can slip out if you need to. This next way of coping is difficult because it involves when family does not understand depression, when they actually either are just ignorant or they refuse to understand what it's really like and just tell you to buck up. You may have to turn to other people who do understand, who are more compassionate. I have a, a sign in my office that one of my friends gave me that says that friends are your chosen family. I love that. I'm lucky enough to have a really great family, but my friends are also very dear to me. And you may have to decide that you just can't do family if they don't understand. The last way of coping and this one is very serious, that if you have any dark thoughts of hurting yourself, 
you need to have a safety plan in mind. If you're in therapy, then you and your therapist need to talk about what you need to do. If you're traveling, you may need to make sure you know where uh, a psychiatric hospital is so that if you get in trouble, you can ask for help. Now, how do you handle just the holiday vibes in general? For one thing, get away from them. Watch movies that you love and that help you feel comfortable, but not holiday ones. Not It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life's a great movie, but maybe not if you're grieving or depressed. Listen to music that's calming, not Jingle Bell Rock. If you shop for presents, go when the crowds are less or order online. Don't feel as you have to spend a lot of money somehow to make up for your depression. There's nothing to be ashamed of. You just are where you are this holiday season. And acceptance can be vital to you actually getting better. The other thing I really believe in is journaling. If you write about how you've handled holidays before, or what do you have available to help, or where you are, sometimes it can feel like it makes it worse to write about it, but after a few days you actually realize you're working through it by writing. Another thing is to think, okay, I have to go through the next two or three weeks. What do I want to learn? What are my goals? Where do I want to be on January the 1st or 2nd? I read an article that also said something about don't feel like you have to make a resolution when you're grieving or depressed, and I totally agree with that. Maybe your resolution is to just get through the holidays. The last thing that we'll do for this podcast is I'm going to read you an email that I got from a listener, and it may apply to something that you feel. The type is really small, so I may have to magnify it or something. Here we go. I read several of your posts on shame, sexual abuse, assault, becoming dissociated, and emotionless. That's me. I have so much shame and have turned my emotions off for so long that I no longer know how to tap into them or even feel them. I can count on one hand how many times in the last 10 years I've cried, the day my husband and I got married, and the moment I saw my daughter after giving birth. I'm so frustrated with myself. I want to feel. I need to cry, but I can't. How in the world do I move beyond the mental block I have toward feeling? When I wrote back to her, I said first and foremost that shame is a feeling, and if she's feeling a lot of shame, that that can be very paralyzing. I had a supervisor once who actually I didn't like very much. I thought he was pretty cocky. But he said, shame is a helpful feeling if it lasts for 10 seconds and it leads to a change of behavior. I didn't agree with him at the time, but after all these years of being a therapist, I definitely do agree now. So letting go of shame can actually help you discover other feelings. A question I often ask is, if you weren't ashamed, what else would you be feeling? Maybe you're angry, maybe you're sad, maybe you're disappointed, maybe you're afraid. What are the feelings that are underneath the shame? The second thing I addressed with her is that if she has read my post on trauma, that probably means that she's had some trauma in her life. And we can dissociate from the pain of trauma. We can put it in a box and stick it so far back in our emotional closet or our psychological closet that we don't even 
recognize that it's still there, but it's influencing our life in very significant ways. There are some specific techniques in psychology, uh, EMDR being the primary one, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy that can reconnect those experiences with emotion, but do it in a very, very safe way where, in fact, you can remember the trauma and not have a severe emotional reaction to it. You can begin identifying and coping with the emotions related to that trauma. I want to thank you for joining me today on self-work. You can get in touch with me several different ways. I have a website, which is drmargaretrutherford.com. You can email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. That's kind of a long one, sorry. I'm on Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram. This is only my sixth podcast, but I will be doing it bi-weekly. And I hope that you'll subscribe. And I'd love it if you would rate or review the podcast. That would mean a whole lot to me. Just takes a few seconds or minutes. And I learn a lot from reading the, the reviews. Again, thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.